Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we are nearing the end of the year, boss, man, trying to close out strong. End of the year is approaching quickly. There's only a couple more days left that we can be closing deals and work in business. You wrote a pretty uh, pretty nice vacation policy here in July. Thanks for that. I'm sure the team appreciates that too. <laughs> we closed our doors <laughs> over the holiday season. I didn't know it would be more detrimental than normal. There's a lot of days to close deals. We're showing awesome revenue figures here in, in Q4. And so I'm torn, boss man. Part of me wants to come back into the office with my Santa outfit on and close some of these deals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you think about that next time you write such a generous vacation policy. I think it's nice. We're off between Christmas and New Year's. We've done this for like the last 10 years. Yeah. Basically, it gives everybody an opportunity to hang out with their family, travel, do whatever they want to do, and not have to worry about like, coming back to their computer between the two holidays. Yeah. It's an opportunity. You know, it's like one of these things we did casually for the first few years there. And we decided, why don't we just own this so that the whole team can participate? And I I do think there is some upside. Honestly, I'm going to share in this week's newsletter, some of our key accomplishments of the year. And a lot of that comes from just reflecting about what we want to do. People are asking in the Slack today, like, what are the goals of 2022? Having that vacation, you know, gives us time to reflect, come back really strong, and to aggressively pursue our aims for 2022. So, just some news items. We've got a great episode for you today. If you want to check out that newsletter, head over to tropicalmba.com. We'll be sending out a year end newsletter with sort of a summation of the year here at the Tropical MBA, as well as some of our key aims for the next year. We're also going to include information about our 2022 event schedule and a price increase at our private community. So now would be a great time to join the DC community if you've been interested in connecting with other location-independent entrepreneurs in 2022. And finally, we're bringing on a senior recruiter. One of our key aims next year, Ian, is to grow the recruiting side and the done-for-you side of Dynamite Jobs. And I also got on my notes here that we have over 40,000, that's a lot, that's a very large number, of candidate profiles on our system right now. And those are people who filled out profiles at the Dynamite Jobs Profile Builder. Well done. Yeah. We're cracking off, man. I think the last month, December, has been like a lot of us trying to strategize, plan, figure out how we're going to allocate resources for 2022. Our uh, stretch goal is to 4X the business kind of in every dimension over these next 12 months. So, you know, I've taken like the last month of this year with you to try and figure out how we're going to do that. It's kind of cool, you know, to go through the exercise of like figuring out how that's actually going to happen and holding ourselves accountable for it. And, you know, you kind of got to get out the gates running Q1 or else you're going to have to play catch up Q2, 3, and 4. So, you know, that's basically our goal right now is like try and put ourselves in a position to be able to 4X. And part of that plan is uh, bringing on another senior recruiter to help us fill roles. And we'll see who else we're hiring in 2022. My guess is it's going to be one or two more developers. And we'll see from there. Cool. So if you're interested in working with us, don't be shy. We're kind of always hiring. That's been the theme of 2021. Lots of hiring going on around here. Okay, let's jump into this one. Today, we're going to talk about something I think it's fair to say that we were both equally 
passionate about, Ian? Uh-oh. I am Lisa Norman, and I am the co-owner of Authentic Leather Patch Company, and we make custom leather patches in-house, and we hand-stitch them onto products, primarily hats. Like the hat that I'm wearing, and like the legendary DC hats. Yes. Just give us a sense for what this company looks like. Yeah, so we started in 2017, so we're almost four and a half. It started with my business partner, Ian Palmer, and I. So there were two of us in the beginning, and there are about 20 of us now. Last year, we made over $2 million, and this year we are set to break another record that we set for ourselves. So even during this really difficult time with COVID, we've managed to grow, which is insane to us. And we are very grateful and thankful for that. Now, I'm not exaggerating when I say that authentic leather patch companies' hats are some of the most popular giveaways all time in the DC and some of the most used. I see them all over social media, on YouTube thumbnails of influencers, and on your head almost every time we record a podcast. <laughs> so the listeners you know, don't know, we're looking at each other right now just so I can see each other's expressions. And these authentic leather patch hats, something about them just resonates. Well, number one, it's our brand. So it's always cool to be able to wear your own stuff. Totally. But the leather patch guys came on like uh, a couple of years ago and they started uh, bringing these really cool hats to our events. And they just kind of became like part of the official swag, unofficial official swag of these DC events. And like, I think a good piece of swag is like one that people actually use, you know? Yeah. High quality. We've made this mistake like countless times. We made this mistake in Mexico, DC, Mexico. Like we created some swag that like no one's ever going to use. So these hats are something that you can use every day, represent your brand and kind of fell in love with them. And speaking of falling in love, like I think we really resonated with the founders of this business. Like when they started coming to our events, we just hit it off with them and had a good time and really respected what they're up to. So we're going to share that story with you today. And it's not your typical four-hour work week business story. We often talk about founder fit on the show, Ian. And Lisa and her co-founder, Ian, have never lost sight of what they want their business to be for them and how they can uniquely contribute to their industry. For them, it's clearly about building high-quality product and connecting directly with their marketplace. So let's just jump into it. A little bit of background. Lisa and Ian have a physical base that is a warehouse and a shop in California. They source their blank hats from places like China and Vietnam and the leather patches from the US and South America. And they do have some graphic designers in the Philippines, but all the rest of their team is based in California. A town called Buellton. If you've seen the movie Sideways, that's where the shop is. <laughs> and I live in Solvang, which is the Danish capital of America. I'm from Northern California, from Sacramento, and I had never been here. That's where I live. So Maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I want to talk about your story, but why did you all do it in-house like that? You know, the, the four-hour workweek dream is that you have people all around, <laughs> like etching in other countries, and then you never even touch the product. It's true. Yeah, we, we worked very backwards, and we, I think with Ian, he's the one that found the DC and kind of planted the dream of, you know, like being a digital nomad. And we were like, okay, that's not what we are right now. We're not doing that at all. It was the two of us going in, figuring it all out, right? And doing every step of the way. And we were like, okay, how do we do less of this? 
we've built this team, so now we can go do some work elsewhere. I guess I'm curious about what your role in the company is. Are you the CEO or you know, how do you all split duties and what's your thinking behind that? When Ian and I formed our partnership, he's more of the CEO role. We call him the dreamer. I'm more the COO role. I'm more of the realist. And, you know, to be honest, I always thought I was pretty optimistic and positive and like, and then I met Ian and Ian is just like the nicest, super positive, like, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the pessimist. I'm negative. I'm the one that says no all the time. I'm like, oh, that's not realistic. Oh, I can't do that. So <laughs> our dynamic, we work really well together because, you know, you have that, the person that's like, oh, I've got this crazy idea. And we both go back and forth between the roles. Now, just to fill you in, Lisa has an incredible background. So she majored in fine art and works in textiles and sculpture. But she's also been an educator, teaching in Japan as well as the U.S. So here's how she moved from that to meeting her co-founder, Ian, and I love these serendipities, a meeting which ultimately led to her becoming a small business owner. I moved to Solving in 2013. My ex-husband actually is from this area, from Solving. He wanted to start law school. So we moved here. He went to law school in Santa Barbara. And I, since I was doing freelance art, I was actually working at a coffee shop too. I was flexible and was able to move. And then I got a job at the school. At that point, did you have any perspective about business? Nope, not at all. I don't think that I ever thought that that would be my path. I always thought I would just, I really wanted to be an illustrator, I think. So when I met Ian, he was like the first creative person that I could brainstorm with and kind of ignited this spark that... So this is Ian, your business partner. How do you all meet? So our paths crossed just like a few different ways. When I moved to this town, it was like I met someone and they were like, oh, you have to meet this guy. He has a screen printing shop. I was screen printing as well. And I was looking for just a place to print transparencies or something. And they were like, he has a full screen printing shop. Have you seen it? I was like, no, I've got to meet this guy. And then like the next week or something, someone was like, oh my gosh, have you met Ian Palmer? He has this crazy shop. Like, I think you guys could be, you know, work together. So finally I reached out to him. What did y'all talk about in that first meeting? I went in and met him and he has the shop that we're in today. And he had all this cool equipment. He has a video production background. So he had a bunch of like video equipment and he had a full like garment screen printing press, you know, heat dryer. He had all this clothes hanging because he was actually had a clothing line that he was, that was one of his businesses. He had like 10 businesses. So like I was telling you, he was the entrepreneur. He had a really great reputation around the community. His family's been here for a long time. And so he was just known as like, being a really nice, reliable guy. And everybody loves him, which is why we're talking about him so much. Yes, so everybody loves him. Just for some context as to why yeah. we're doing this. <laughs> right, right. Everyone loves Ian. Sometimes I don't, but we always work through it. <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so you meet him. You all have similar interests and stuff. How many months or years until you guys are like, you know what the world needs? Like leather patches that are etched on hats. Right. Yeah. So I think we met in actually 2015. He had just bought this laser etcher. This is wine country as well. And I think he had another business idea and was like, I can etch, you know, glasses for wineries. 
and the machine is capable of doing all these other things. And, you know, he's very curious. So he was etching like wood signs and cups and started experimenting with the leather as well. And I came in probably a couple months after he had purchased that. I was just like, do you need help with screen printing or graphic design or something? Because I saw that he had his hands full with all of these projects. And he was just kind of like, yeah, yeah. We made an agreement where I could use the equipment for my own art projects and that I would could help him with some of the screen printing. And I was like, are you printing for local businesses? Because that was one avenue that it didn't seem like he was doing. I think people would ask him for favors and do that. And so I offered to help get that part going to screen print for local businesses. And from there, we started talking about, he taught me a lot about how he was making that work. For his own clothing line, he was working with sales reps to get them into stores. So he had experience that I just never even like understood. What was like the aha moment that like, maybe let's do something? Well, we tried to do a lot of little somethings that just didn't work. And the screen printing was going okay. And because people knew of Ian, we were getting business. Like people would just like walk in or had heard that he, you know, was screen printing shirts now or whatever. And people started to notice the the hats and the leather patches and the etcher. And so they would start asking about etching jobs. And we tried signs and things like things that we weren't getting really consistent results with. And so that's why I think we kept tossing those ideas aside because we couldn't reproduce something over and over again that wasn't taking all of our time. So people started pointing to the the leather etched part. And so you saw a market opportunity that was potentially scalable. Yes. And we had the screen printing kind of as like the model, I think, because they were very similar. You choose a blank garment and then you pick what you'd like decorated. But with screen printing, neither one of us loved it because when you make an error, there's a ton of waste, there's a ton of chemicals, and you have to be like really good at it to consistently produce great results. With the hat idea, yeah, it was like, okay, if you mess up a patch, you just take it off and you can reuse the hat. That's less waste. And it took us a while to find all the right pieces to make a consistent product that would work. But we put together the thing that we could reproduce over and over again. And that we were like, yeah, can we teach someone to do this? Yeah, we can. So we can work on other things. When did you know you were onto something? Because typically on the show would say, if you had an aha moment in the market, like that would typically be more valuable than in your factory. Okay, so you can make these hats. But what about people wanting to buy them? I think it was a happy accident. Ian was the one that experimented with putting the patches on the hat because it was a product that he had never seen before. So he was, you know, making the garments and had explored that market a bit. But this was something unique and leather patch hats weren't really a thing in 2015. So I think when people came in doing screen printed shirts, they saw this other neat product that was a little bit different than embroidery. And they were like, hey, can I get my company logo on that? And we were like, yeah, we're in an area where the equine scene is quite big. So there are a lot of like saddle stitchers and leather workers and things. And so the leather that we use is not thin. It's quite thick. And we use these big industrial machines to hand stitch them on. and. We were making something that we knew would be a little bit higher quality than 
an embroidered hat. And it was very special because they are handmade. And so people were kind of like, this is a hat that I will wear all the time that has branding on it. Not just a freebie hat that I might get and toss aside. Today's show is sponsored by AppSumo, the number one digital marketplace for entrepreneurs. That's right, they're a marketplace and a great way to get your name in front of 1 million plus entrepreneurs, founders, affiliate marketers, and small businesses. You can sell your software, ebook, PDF template library, online course, WordPress plugin, or even event tickets. You get the idea. Anything for entrepreneurs, you can find it on AppSumo. The average digital product on AppSumo earns between $700 and $5,000 a month, depending on the type of product. What an easy, no-brainer, extra revenue stream for you and your business. I've listed my book before the exit on AppSumo, and I know many listeners of this show are already getting results by using this amazing marketplace. So check them out. Head on over to appsumo.com slash sell. That's what we're doing around here. And thanks to AppSumo for sponsoring the show. I want to talk about, all right, great. So like people like me are coming into your shop and this happens all the time. You're like the hot local band and people are like, you're the best <laughs> guys. In the-. You know, but they're not going to like go to the next town to watch you. They're just happy because they had a bunch of beer and like you were there and like you played a good song. How did you take this like bespoke shop where you guys are creative artists and like turn it into something where it's like a living and, and a real business? I have on my notes here like Etsy and word of mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All word of mouth. So people around town. And I think we were just like trying to stir up some business and. Ian like jumped on his Facebook and was just like, we were like, oh, maybe we'll put out a deal or something. And we put out like, oh, get 12 hats for whatever. Did like a little blast. And this guy who's our good friend now, his name's Chris. He lived in a neighboring town and he just like contacted us and was like, I love these hats. They are amazing. Can I tell people about them? And we were just like, me being the pessimist. I was like, what does this guy want? What's he trying to do? And he's just like another nice local guy. Like these are small communities. Everyone knows each other. Right. And he was just like, I want to make my own hats and sell them. But I also, he's like a big avid hunter. And he was like, I just want to like share this with my hunting people and companies that he was interested in getting in touch with. And he just started like calling these companies that he admired and telling them about our product and how it would really align with their business. And we would send them samples. And once they saw the product, they were like, oh, yeah, we got to get some of these. It makes sense that you'd get early traction in sort of like the outdoor space because there's a rugged Mm -hmm. quality to it. Right. But yeah, we got one of our biggest clients. Chris helped us make that connection. From there, other smaller brands and things and other companies, they just started seeing the product and asking where it was from. And yeah, that's really how it spread. And so I don't know if people in the community really realize how much we've scaled either, that we have product in every state and, you know, how much we've grown They're They're usually pretty surprised. That feels nice that it's, it's kind of grown organically. And we have an Instagram page that's like, and I think it's connected to Facebook, but again, we don't spend a ton of time. It's just Ian and I kind of doing it 
It's sort of remarkable. I mean, I love so much about your story. One of the things is that this isn't like the what you hear about apparel companies, right? Like <laughs> you hear that it's like all marketing and there's no margin and it's super hard and don't don't wait into the Tommy Hilfiger waters, you know, you're going to get booted. Yeah. And here you are selling hats on the internet. Yeah. And I mean, it was a lot of luck, but also we wanted to make a good product and f- we really question what was going to make our product unique because once we started, all these other leather patch hats started to appear gradually. And now if you look the market, like there's so many companies now, like our Instagram followers, I think we have like almost 6,000, but they're real people. They are real people. We know our clients, you know, it started with the two of us where we could, we knew the clients, we knew their design, we knew what hats they wanted to order. And like part of the business too is nurturing these relationships and getting to know some of our clients really well, which is really fun for us. And we use that to just make the product better. So you did this thing that, you know, happens commonly, which is like you and Ian are like doing this kind of hustle, but like you still have your own life, you know, separate from he did all the capital expenditure and like bought the machine and stuff. I'm curious as to like when you became made, like how did you get whole on this thing? Like when were you like, I'm a startup founder, like somebody better give me some equity so I can sit around here and like make a living. How did that deal go down? So Ian and I had our deal with me helping with the screen printing. And as we formulated this idea, we wanted to make it separate from the business that he had already started, which was called Inspired Emotion. We were taking the hats across town for someone else to stitch them and they weren't coming back at the quality that we wanted. And since I had a stitching background, I actually bought a saddle stitcher and put through down some money as my like contribution. And he had the space in the machine. And so that's kind of how I started and we formed the business as partners. So we we were like, okay, this is the official business. We brainstorm the idea for the name. In the beginning, I didn't have as much equity as I do now. I've been gradually building it up because, again, I think he was a bit apprehensive about bringing on a partner to start anything. He fully trusted me, but I think we were still screen printing for businesses. And he, like, Ian is notorious for, like, agreeing to do something. And it's usually, like, I would come in and he'd be like, I have to print 500 shirts for this. And I was like, by when? And he'd be like, two days from now. And I'd be like, why did you agree to do this? And he's just like, I know. But one time there was an order (laughs) he agreed to do and he didn't want to screen print it. And he was like, I'll give you 5% of the company if you like five more than you already have. And I was like, done. What else do you need me to do? Was there a moment when you felt made like in terms of like, wow, I make money from my own company now instead of having to piece it together? How long did that take about? I would say this is, you know, getting a little bit personal as well, but I was married when I started the company and my divorce, we separated in 2019. So this was like a year and a half after we started the business. And so that kind of fueled me to, I wanted to be even more independent. Like I was on my own again. And I think that moment where it was like, okay, yeah, this is a real thing. I do have to take care of myself. And the way we started the business too, and the way we charged clients, we were never really in the red. So, I mean, with his machine, his laser etcher purchase for a bit, but probably after that year and a half, two years, 
we were able to discuss what we could make salary wise. We started to hire employees and we started to see the growth. We have clients pay up front for the product. And if they bail on an order, which they don't really do, then the product is already paid for. So I think the way that we approached that was also smart because he already had the building and the the rent was quite low. So we made the choices to, we're not going to make all these crazy upgrades if they're not necessary. We're going to work with what we have so we can keep saving money and grow it to what it is growing into. And yeah, like when you're taking money and how and from whom, you mentioned like an audience that loves you, that pays up front. A lot of apparel brands, they get into the distribution game and then they're funding on like long net 90 terms or ridiculous terms and all this stuff. And one of the reasons that we're talking today is like y'all got up to like $1.3 million before COVID in sales. And like you had this really aggressive game plan to get to Mm 1.8. And I guess during COVID, it really looked like that wasn't going to happen. Like your plans had been dashed. Everybody sort of knows theoretically that there was like supply chain issues, you know, even some now. Yes. And part of the reason we wanted to speak with you is just to get a sense for, you know, what happened in your company. I have a note here that you plan to load up a van and do a road show. <laughs> that was yeah. your marketing plan, which sounds yeah. amazing. As a van lover, I think that this <laughs> sounds like a great marketing plan. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and Ian and I, we like to have fun and we do one show we were doing one show and it was our friend chris who i spoke about earlier got us into it it's called the western i think western hunting and conservation expo it's in salt lake city utah we tested it out kind of and brought a sewing machine and we got a portable etcher and we were just making custom hats for people on demand and people loved it and it was super fun to talk to all these different people After seeing the response, we were just like, we should get a van and like tour around. We want to like go talk to our clients, but also like find these shows and just like show people what we do. Because also seeing the production process, I think, was very impressive to people because it wasn't just mass manufactured. They were like, oh, you take my design, you etch this, and then you're you're stitching that by hand. That's insane. So you were like, we're going to just do this all year long. Yeah, I was like, you know, that would be cool. I, you know, had a new chapter in my life and Ian loves to travel as well. So we were looking at bands and things like that. And then COVID hit and we were like, oh, no, like, what is this going to look like? I think we had 13 or 14 employees at the beginning of 2020. So you're at 1.3 mil and you're trying to push it towards that 2 million and one of the things about two million in revenue, I don't know if you've like you've probably looked at your P and L, but like I'm always like, well, two million dollars in revenue is kind of when you can start to hire adults. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of have some budget to get some like people with experience into the business that it's not necessarily founder driven all the time. Right. So that two million number can be pretty significant. So we were, yeah, to a point where the team was growing and we were like, okay, we have departments now and we're appointing people to kind of be leaders of the department. That's the scale that we were going towards, right? We just hire a general manager because we're like, okay, things are getting serious here. And then COVID hits, like I think a month after we hired the GM. And yeah, we had to do some layoffs. So the GM, we were like, oh, remember how we hired you to manage people? Well, now 
you're going to be a correspondence person because we're just, you know, I turned into a correspondence person talking to customers, looking at inquiries and communicating with clients to get their orders ready. And then Ian would kind of float at the shop and check on people and help with, you know, packing orders, receiving shipments and things like that. And was it hard to lay people off or were you just like COVID made it easy? No, it was hard because it's a small community, you know, and these people, they're like my family. That sucks. I, you know, I don't know. I knew enough about people to be like, I don't, I don't want to do this, but we don't have a choice kind of thing. And so, yeah, we kind of held on to the lead people in the departments to keep the shop going because we were like, okay, well, we'll at least get these orders out out of the door. And the way our shop is oriented there are separate rooms kind of. So we we made sure that it was safe enough and that people had enough distance. And basically they just kind of worked in their own space. The two stitchers were in a large room with each other on kind of sitting away from each other. But yeah, we weren't supposed to do that. And it was even like, I felt like, oh gosh, we're doing something wrong. But also we can keep it going and still take care of people. I think it was a lot of questionable things like, oh, well, this event might still happen because it was like, oh, we're going to shut down for two weeks. That's it. Right. Not like a year and a half. Yeah. So people still were hopeful that these things were going to happen and ordering. And we, we there weren't any supply chain issues really at that time either. And so we kept it going as best as possible. You mentioned that around this time, you know, some things started to go wrong. One of the things you flag up is that there was a lot of competition arriving during this time, which is interesting. Yeah. One even called you pretending to be a customer. What was that like? (laughs) Yeah. We were selling on Etsy for a bit. And I don't know if it's because things were closing and people were leaving their jobs or working remotely and, you know, more portable etchers and things like that were starting to become available. And so particularly the Etsy marketplace started to become saturated with these things. And we had someone message us on Instagram asking question about maybe one of the machines or something like that. And we answer some, we don't, you know, tell them everything, but we gave a pretty good answer. And he was like, ha ha, I'm your biggest competitor on Etsy. And we were just like, okay, well, like, you know, my response, I think was like, well, there's, there's plenty of business for people out there. So like, good luck. You know, putting it into perspective, it's like there are thousands of screen printing and embroidery places, and there are plenty of businesses for everyone. So it's like, I can tell you everything that we're doing, but it's what you do with that information, right? And it took us a long time to get to where we are and to find the right leathers and to find the right systems. We're still working on it. We're still growing and making mistakes and learning from them. I just want to give a big thanks to all of you who listened to ads like this and went on over to dynamitejobs.com to see what we've got going on over there. Because of that, we've helped place hundreds of qualified remote professionals in your companies last year. And for this holiday season, many of you are gearing up your operation for continued growth in 2022. And to help you do it, we've got three exciting options for you to explore. The first is our entirely new hiring platform, with a job post dashboard that allows you to repost and promote anytime. We've got a growing list of features there, including intelligent promotion options to help you get the maximum amount of applications. We've also got our done for you service. If you're sick of sorting, assessing, 
and interviewing, you can hire our senior recruiting staff to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. They are experienced at identifying trajectory, alignment, salary fit, and much more. And the best part is it's a flat fee. If you're hiring multiple times in 2022, we're offering bundles with steep discounts. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and book a call to hear about that. And finally, we offer contract recruiting. That's right, a zero-risk hiring option if you don't really know about the long-term fit or if you're looking for a partner to help take care of the legalities of hiring contractors. We can do that for a monthly fee for the contractors that you bring on board. So let's grow together. If you're looking to grow your remote business, book a call with our team and find out today how Dynamite Jobs can help. You can find out about this and much more over at dynamitejobs.com slash remote recruiting. It seems like in, in April of 2020 is when you started to run into some supply issues. Can you tell us about that? Like, this is a story that we heard a lot about over the pandemic is just people having trouble getting stock in. Towards the end, of maybe of 2020, but throughout, we would have occasionally something would go out of stock and it would be something that customers really, really wanted. And so we started to take note of what was really popular and if you know, we could see the inventory was going lower, we would order a bit more. It was just weird, like things that we could get very easily. It was just like, oh, this actually two of the warehouses out of three, they're showing empty. So it was like, we better just start stocking up on those. It's like toilet paper. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) We knew we could sell them. We knew we could move them. And we have some big clients that actually would buy them quarterly. So we wanted to be prepared to be able to cover those orders. But we were also very fortunate we expanded to another space and we had the the space to store some of this stuff because normally we're made to order. We did not have a ton of inventory and that's how we were keeping a lot of our costs down as well. So this year it looks a little bit different because we have a warehouse. You know, we have a lot of hats and we have a lot of hats still on order. I started to just search around, just like Google search for either specific hats or brands and all these other smaller like vendors started to pop up and you know LA has a ton of like the garment industry is quite large and so I started finding these other wholesalers that are just these small untapped sources and I started reaching out and I was like hey you don't by chance have this hat and they were like oh yeah we have like four cases of those and I was like oh my gosh can I have you know two of them speaking of scrappy one of the things you mentioned is that <laughs> thanks Jeff Percaro you consider customer service as marketing. Mm -hmm. And so what do you mean by that? And how do you invest in it? Since we don't spend a ton of money on marketing, we don't have a simple order process where you go to our website and you just click and order something very easily. You have to submit an inquiry because it's very customized. And that's kind of what makes our product unique. We allow you to choose whatever hat you want, patch shape, placement. But in order to obtain those details, you have to have pretty deep conversations with the client about what they're looking for. So we have this correspondence team now that they really take the time to listen to what the client wants and needs, what they're looking for, relying on our expertise to maybe find a hat that will fit their market so they can get their brand name out there or, you know, to give the perfect gift or to customize something that takes a lot of thought and care. And so I think we try to put a lot of as much thought and care to each client, even just small gestures that seem to be missing, like giving someone an extra hat or just bringing a bunch of hats along. And 
we were doing some shows, like we did a local show. It was like a motorcycle rally. And Ian actually agreed to have some shirts printed for the event because he was a part of it with his buddies. But we had all of the brand logos. And I was like, why don't we make all these people hats? Like, why not? We'll make each person a hat. We walk them around, introduce ourselves because we had a booth and we were just like, hey, if you're interested, we're over here. We made you the sample. And people were just like blown away that we had taken the time to do that, but also that they had this really cool physical product that was custom, unique to their brand. And that is a bit of marketing, but also like if we don't get anything out of it, like we might make a cool connection for things later down the road. It's a bit of a networking and exposure. So yeah, yeah, that is marketing, but also just a kind gesture to make someone feel nice. I was speaking with a eight-figure, multi-eight-figure company who basically described the same process where they're like, there's this misnomer that like if people can just do everything easy on your website, that that means you're an easy company to work with. And he's basically like, we purposely make people talk to us because that's the experience. And like, even if say, there's a drop off in the number of people willing to do it, the people that do their quality. And then if you have great correspondence team, as you call them, they can cultivate a relationship that creates so much more value than just like a four step process on the website. Exactly. Yeah. Because you would just be like the next Teespring or whatever. It's like very different than having like someone in your corner as a brand ambassador, someone that's like helping you to move your company forward. So this is definitely an insight that I've seen time and again. And like, in some ways, like, the kind of marketing when you guys talk about what you're doing, like things like printing hats for DCers and it's similar to what you described at the conference, it takes a little bit more bravery because it's like a little bit easier to say like, let's set up a campaign and somebody show me some data, you know? It's not exactly clear how it pays off. Yeah. That's the hard part. And yeah, it is, you know, taking a little bit of risk and chance, but it's something that we believe in and that I think the artists in us as well, like because it takes so much time and craft to make them that we're very proud of it and we stand by it. And that makes it a little bit easier to share. Being a good employer in California is also one of our, you know, a big goal that we want to make it work and we want to take care of the people in our community. So I think it is really neat that we rely so much on our team to help carry us forward. And we have a lot of return clients because they're like, oh, yeah, I talked to so-and-so and they were so great. Or, you know, they see us out at shows and we could just talk as friends. So in 2020, you ended up with $2 million in sales. Yeah, we were so busy. But you thought it was going to be a terrible year. You laid everybody off at the beginning of the year. Right. Yeah. And we were able to hire everyone back by the end of summer and we brought on a couple new team members even and normally we try to keep turnaround two to three weeks if we can and we were like five to six week turnaround by quarter four and it was it was madness but it was really cool to see and i don't know what people were doing i guess everyone was shopping (laughs) (laughs) you said if we can survive 2020 we can survive anything everyone makes bad decisions but we've gotten really good at avoiding the worst decisions <laughs> yeah personally it's been a couple of rough years so i got divorced i moved to this town a small town that my family isn't in and my ex is still around and my my ex family is still around and when that happened i felt pretty like lost like oh i don't really know what i'm doing here but then i realized I did have this business that I cared about so much and these other people that I wanted to take care of that I needed to stick around for. 
and then then realized also that when that happened, so many people came and supported me to help me get through it. And Ian and my team, like I had to tell them because there were days where I, I would just walk into the shop and just break down. And then I had to share with them what was going on. And they were really there and supportive to get through that. And so like that was one of the hardest things. And then in 2020, I was working remotely because my mom was actually ill. And so my dad was caring for her by himself. So I actually went up north and helped him. And she passed away from cancer and in October of last year. And so like that, it was just back to back really gnarly things that I was going through that I was like, some of the things that, you know, hardest things I didn't know if I could make it through. Right. And then on top of all of that, a global pandemic. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Why not? Like throw it at me. But yeah, with those things just kind of back to back and realizing the people that support me personally, that support the business, you know, all the clients that reach out to us and give us great feedback and clients that have been with us since our beginning. We still have them. And it's really neat to talk with them about the journey and supporting each other through COVID too. And like being open about what's going on with them and seeing how we can help them as well. It's been a really great learning experience. And I feel like, like I said, yeah, if we can get through some of these hard things, like it's okay. Like it's going to be, we'll find a way, we'll make it work. And we've made a lot of tough decisions, like going through multiple CPAs, you know, those hard business decisions that you just kind of have to learn as you go. You know, you hope that you make the right choices, but we've had to make really hard decisions. Oh, we're going to bring this person on to help the business grow. And then you find out you're like, they're not a great fit. They're not working out. And those are things that you never really want to have to deal with. But we have, and we, we will again, I'm sure. So yeah, those are just making us stronger people, right? What are y'all going to do next year? We did buy a van. <laughs> so oh, The dream. We got this cool van. Are you going to wrap it with your logo? Yes, we have put the logo on it. And we want to keep it like, Ian, I hope he can travel with me a bit. He did have a baby this year. So hopefully he can come along. But I... I plan to load up that van, Dan, and I'm going to hit the road and make some hats (laughs) and talk to him because, yeah, I mean, what's part of our project idea, too, was like reconnecting with some of our clients and Ian, you know, with his video background, he wants to do these other projects that are just kind of highlight some of the people that have been with us on this journey. But it's also fun, fun for us and gives us some exposure. So maybe that will happen. Lisa, there's a lot of people that want to duplicate the success that you've achieved. Some advice that you tend to lean towards that you give to people when they say, Lisa, I'd love to end up where you're at someday. I mean, this might all sound kind of cheesy, but staying true to yourself is very important and something that Ian and I constantly try to remind ourselves to keep us focused and grounded is we're still working on building a solid foundation for the business so it can grow into something further. But we have to remind ourselves, pull ourselves back in, do what we're doing and try to do it the best that we can before we move on and get distracted with something else. Yeah, all these companies are doing marketing and things and that we don't have to follow the same path that work for other people. And so staying true to who we are, you know, 
spending extra time to make those connections and being kind and being weird and silly and, you know, not super corporate. And I think that's who Ian and I really are. We are feeling pretty great about what we've created and what it's turning into. And to also be very open to ideas of other people, right? Don't be so closed off because you never know what's going to come your way. Big shout out to Lisa Norman for dropping by the show and sharing the story behind the hats we all love. It's just awesome to see the amount of success they're having, that there's a little bit of four-hour work week and automation and using the webs to distribute product around the world. But also like there's a bespoke element, a hands-on and artisanal element to this brand, and it's not holding them back from making sales. And that's really, really cool. It's impressive to see what they've done. And thanks to Lisa for also sharing at uh, DC Mexico this year. It was an inspiring talk. A lot of uh, our friends have actually ordered their hats and put their logos on them. So if you're thinking about doing that... Everybody's jealous. Yeah. (laughs) Where'd you get those hats? It's a very high quality product (laughs) and I would absolutely recommend it. There's something that I really felt when I was listening to Lisa's story today that I think oftentimes we feel pressure in life and in business to do what the experts say, what we should do, model people out there that have had success before you. And I think all that stuff's great. But what I heard today in Lisa's story is someone who's willing to trust their instincts about what the right thing to do in their business is, and then seeing a market resonate with that. I think that's very powerful too. That's the idea of founder fit. That's the idea of trusting your gut. You know, If you're always staying in line with what everybody else is telling you to do, you might not ever get out of line and create a successful business that you own. That's my parting message. Awesome, man. Do check out their hats. Order your own. Business success for me is basically having your logos on <laughs> swag. Check it out. Get your own swag at leatherpatchcompany.com. And that's it for this week. See you again next Thursday, Christmas Eve, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 